I'll invite you to turn to a couple of openings of Scripture, Zechariah chapter 10 and uh, James chapter 5. We've been uh, teaching a series for a number of weeks that we've titled The Lightnings of God, and we take that from Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Zechariah is inspired by the Holy Ghost to write, Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds. If you're reading from the King James, you'll notice it says bright clouds. Uh, the only other place in the scripture that this word is that's translated bright clouds in Zechariah 10.1 is used is translated lightnings. And the margin of my Bible says or lightnings. It uh, it's, seems to me that the translators really didn't know what to do with this. I mean, what is he talking about? So the Lord shall make bright clouds. So the Lord shall make lightnings. What's he talking about? Well, you have to go back to uh, to understand how the Holy Ghost or how the Lord manifested himself in the Old Testament, how the glory of God appeared. He must be talking about the glory of God because the Bible talks about the glory of God filling Solomon's temple like a cloud so that the priest couldn't stand to minister. It talks about a bright cloud that enveloped Abraham when God made a covenant with him in Genesis chapter 15. There are several different places where it talks about the shining or glistening or appearance of a cloud or a fog or something to that to that effect. So that must be what the translators are thinking about and, and referring to when they translate this bright clouds. Because otherwise there's no point of reference for bright clouds. There's no other place where the scripture, where this uh, word is used that's translated that way or would fit to be translated that way. But they must understand that he's talking about the glory of God. Ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. In the last days in other words. That's when the latter rain's for. That's why it's got that catchy name, latter rain. It's for the last days. So he says, ask of the Lord rain in the, t- in the time of the latter rain in the last days, so the Lord shall make bright clouds. In other words, he'll make his glory to appear. But what about lightnings? What about where the words translated lightnings and before? They're in the only other place in the scripture it's used. Well, what about that? Well, lightnings is always a demonstration of power, isn't it? Isn't that what we think of when we see a lightning flash? We think of, wow, what brilliance, what brightness there is and what power there is in that. Because it hits something and everything else stops. Right? So bright clouds must be a reference to his appearing or the glory of God in appearance or in manifestation and the power of God in demonstration too. Ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain so the Lord shall make bright clouds or lightnings. That's what this series is about, the lightnings of God. And give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. He shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain. Now I want you to notice he speaks of two different things. He speaks of that which is translated bright clouds. In other words the glory of God and showers of rain. Now why wouldn't they be the same thing? Why wouldn't those two things be the same? He's saying if you'll ask for the rain God will do two things. He'll make bright clouds or lightnings and he'll give showers of rain. Now, he tells us what the purpose of those things are in the last phrase where he says, and produce grass in the field, to everyone grass in the field. Well, that grass in the field is going to be defined in James chapter 5 and verse 7. It speaks of the same thing, Old Testament reference in Zechariah 10, New Testament reference in James 5, 7. James said this, he said, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Thank God he's coming. Well, we know he isn't here yet, right? That's pretty obvious. So this still applies to us. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth. Now, he's going to use a farmer example for what Jesus is waiting for. 
Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. For the precious fruit of the earth. Now, Zechariah 10.1 says, And shall give them grass in the field. To everyone grass in the field. The grass in the field is the same thing as the precious fruit of the earth. Now, looking at it from God's standpoint, since God's the one that inspired both of these scriptures, what's the only precious fruit that God cares about? It's got to be people. That's got to be people. That's the only thing God cares about, folks, is people. He's looking for a harvest of people in the last days. He's looking for a harvest. Now, think about what that means. That means there should be, according to the plan of God, he's revealing to us that there will be some kind of revival before Jesus comes. Otherwise, what's he waiting for? If it's just going to, if the church is just going to rock along the same way we're doing and get people saved a little here, a little there and, and have overseas campaigns and get masses of crowds together and stuff like that, well then why would he ever come? That could continue forever. No, it seems to indicate that there's an event or at least a time period surrounding an event that he's waiting for. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth he's waiting for a harvest of people jesus is waiting for maximum yield from the from the earth maximum yield of a family before he comes and has long patience what's going to bring that about and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain that sounds familiar ask of the lord rain in the time of the latter rain so what's it telling us? It's telling us that this event that's going to bring about the precious fruit of the earth is going to be identified by these bright clouds or lightnings of God. Now, folks, am I reading anything into Scripture that's not there? We know he's talking about the same subject because he's talking about latter rain in both verses. Right? So it's got to be something that we can tie in together. We're not just pulling two obscure verses out and, and, and you know, putting them together. And, and some folks do this. Bless their hearts. You can make the Bible say anything you want to. You can make a case for suicide from the Bible. Judas went and hanged himself, and the Bible says, go and do thou likewise. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that's not the way that the Bible is intended to be gathered together. Right? But you can make the Bible say anything you want to. A skilled preacher or deceiver can put two scriptures together and make it say anything you want to. So I want you to see for yourself, this is the same subject that the Bible is referring to. It's talking about the latter rain. And that latter rain is defined by bright clouds or lightnings, a manifestation of God's power and his presence, number one, and number two, showers of rain. Do you see that? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If he's going to give us showers, or if he's going to make bright clouds, excuse me. If he's going to make a, an appearance or a manifestation of his glory and a demonstration of his power, what's that going to look like? How is that supposed to look to the church? Folks, if it just took the church to agree on that one point for Jesus to come back, he could never come. Because the church disagrees on what the power of God is. Don't they? You've got part of the church that says everything that God did in the Old Testament and in Jesus' ministry still belongs to us today. For one example of, of that proof is that Jesus said in John fourteen twelve, 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, the works that I do shall you do also, and even greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father. But some of the church says, no, that was just for the apostles. Well, okay, if the apostles, let's take that for under consideration. If the apostles were the only ones that were supposed to do the same works of Jesus, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to get people saved. Really? It looks to me like in the early days of the church, they got the most people saved by showing the power of God. But now we're supposed to do the same work or even greater works with less ability? Seriously? There's no way. It can't be done. That's why, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself. But that's why I believe the Bible talks about asking God for the rain in the last days to bring about the precious fruit of the earth. See, folks, God hadn't changed. The church changes daily. Church doctrine will change from week to week. But God never changes. So if God's pattern for reaching people under the old covenant and in Jesus' ministry was showing his power, God hadn't changed. He's still willing to do that today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us what the lightnings of God are going to look like. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. This word spiritual is, is uh, the word gifts is in italics. The word spiritual in the original translation is in the plural. Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. What does that mean? The word spirituals, plural, means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. Now, why is he talking about the Holy Ghost? Why are we jumping over into talking about the Holy Ghost? Very simply, Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Well, if the power of God... In Acts chapter 1, is, an, is something different from the power that's talked about in Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1 and referred to as that which brings about the precious fruit of the earth in James chapter 5 and verse 7, then we're hopelessly lost. Because if it was power under one condition but not power under another condition or at another time, what are we to believe? Folks, God doesn't confuse us. What was power then is power now. And Jesus said that the key to the power is the Holy Ghost. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. How many of you, now he's talking about the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's talking about that which happened and occurred in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Ghost was poured out upon the 120 and they all began to speak with other tongues. How many of you have been filled with the Spirit and speak with other tongues? Let me see your hands. Guess what that means? That means you have power. Let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean you feel like you have power. And that's what most of us go by. Most of us look at this, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And we think, wow, they really got power. Well, you got the same Holy Ghost they have or had. What's the difference? The difference is they understood it wasn't about feelings. They understood it was about the truth of the word. They understood it was about a manifestation of that which Jesus said would take place. We sit back and say, well, I wish I had power. Sure would be nice to have power. Maybe someday we will have power. Maybe that's what Pastor Mike is preaching about, that the power is going to return someday. Can't wait to see that. Yet Jesus said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If the Holy Ghost has already come upon you, meaning has filled you and you speak with other tongues, you have power. You can't have the Holy Ghost without having power. Now, you may not be using it. But you can't have the Holy Ghost without having power. 
It's one and the same. It's a, it's a package deal. You can't do it. You cannot have the Holy Ghost and not have power. Yet what do we, what do we do? What does the modern day church do? The charismatic church says, oh Lord, give us power. I thought that's what he did. I thought that's what made us charismatics. That's what enabled us to speak with other tongues. The Holy Ghost came upon us and filled us. And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, here's the power identified for the church in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. If God didn't uh, didn't want the church ignorant in their day, I don't believe he wants us ignorant today. Yet I would submit to you that that is probably the number one area of ignorance in the modern day church. Things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. Skip with me down to verse 4. Now there are diversities of of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. In other words, he's saying these things may work in different ways. They, They may be different ministries for different individuals, but God's behind all of it. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Notice it doesn't say to profit for himself. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. It doesn't profit him as an individual. It profits others. You know, it's an interesting thing. Paul writes the 12th, 13th, and 14th, or what we know of as the 12th, 13th, and 14th chapters of 1 Corinthians to address a problem that they have in the church in Corinth. And that problem is that there is a misuse of tongues in the church. Now, he wouldn't have to write to correct the misuse of working of miracles. You don't misuse the working of miracles, do you? You don't misuse the gifts of healings, do you? It's either there or it's not, and there's no way to misuse that. But when it comes to tongues, there's plenty of opportunity to misuse that. And that's what he writes this for. And of all the things, he's going to give us a list of nine different manifestations. He didn't speak of one of those that benefits the individual. Now, you may say, yeah, but he says, he that speaketh in tongues edifies himself. That's right. But he's not talking about the ministry or the manifestation of tongues and interpretation in the church. He's talking about you as, a, as, as an individual speaking in tongues in your own private prayer life. That edifies you. That strengthens you spiritually. But none of these, none of these lists of nine are given to, to manifest for the purpose of benefiting the individual, but always benefiting others. In other words, to bring about the precious fruit of the earth. There was a, uh, I remember hearing a story some years ago, Brother Hagen told me the story, as a matter of fact, about um, a Raymond graduate that had uh, uh, been a part of a wedding. There was a wedding that took place and there were several different ministers that were uh, going to take place, a husband and his wife, and then this Rhema graduate. And uh, uh, the wedding was uh, uh, between two people. The, uh, uh, the girl was a part of the church uh, that the other two ministers pastored, the husband and wife. And uh, the, the man was well respected in the community, and, and as a result, the, the wedding was a big deal. And so people from all over had come and people from uh, in different uh, political offices and, and, you know, high positions in, in the government and the city government and uh, that type of thing were, uh, were part of this uh, uh, wedding crowd, wedding audience. And uh, the guy was telling Brother Hagen as he related it to me, he said uh, about, uh, oh, about a third of the way into the ceremony, 
you know, she's reading some, he's reading some, the, the, her husband, the pastor, is reading some things. About a third way into the ceremony, she stopped and started groaning in the spirit. She got down on the floor and started wallowing around like she was having some kind of baby and that kind of thing. And the effect was, it shocked everybody in the room. I mean, most of the, most of the crowd is unsaved. Now, here it was afterwards, and, and it, it created such a problem. In the, in the city for the, for the church, it created a problem for the couple that was getting married. It embarrassed everybody terribly. And, of course, the, the, the woman that was involved in it said, well, I couldn't help that. That was just something God impressed upon me. The Holy Ghost made me do that. Well, why would the Holy Ghost do that in front of a crowd of people that don't know what's going on? The, the Raymond graduate said, I'm standing on the platform and, and I'm watching people leave the audience. I'm watching people looking at each other, getting out and walking out, of, out of, the, of the chapel, the church auditorium. He said, if I hadn't been part of the ceremony, I would have walked out myself. Now, why would the Holy Ghost do something like that? Well, folks, he doesn't do something like that. She did something thinking, whatever. Maybe she thought she was doing a good thing. Maybe she thought she was going to reach people. Do, I don't know what she thought. Who knows what she thought? But it wasn't the Holy Ghost. But notice, in a situation like this, this would be similar to the Corinthian situation. Here's somebody that has the ability to speak with other tongues, has the ability to pray in other tongues, and she misuses that without taking into account either the effect or the people that are going to see it. Is she going to go to hell for that? (laughs) Of course not. But she's probably lost the ability to reach some people that she might otherwise have been able to reach. And if it had been up to the the couple getting married, she probably would have gone to hell for that. It created some real problems for them. Real problems. Well, these things can be misused. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church all the way through the letter about things that they're abusing, things that they're not taking right and, and giving right value to, placing right value upon. Well, these things can be abused, can't they? Tongues can. How are you going to take advantage of or how are you going to abuse working of miracles? There's no question whether or not that's an operation, folks. It either is or it isn't. And that's why he doesn't give a lot of instruction for working of miracles. You don't need much. All you need to know is it works by faith just like the others. Because when it's in operation, it'll show itself to be right. But tongues is something that you receive as the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit, as in Acts chapter 2. So that can be misused. That's under your control. That doesn't just happen by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit like gifts of healings or working of miracles would. We have some control in that. And that's the whole reason that Paul is writing to to the church about these things. He's saying stop being ignorant about this. Stop running people off from your services. Stop giving them a chance to say that you're a crazy bunch of people. Because just because you're acting crazy, you're not supposed to be crazy. And that's the term he uses. Will they not say you are mad? That means crazy. So he gives us a list of nine different things. Notice what he says. For the one is given by the Spirit, verse 8, the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith, or special faith, as the Amplified says, by the same spirit to another the gifts of healings both gifts and healings are in the plural in the original translation gifts of healings by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues now notice he says diverse kinds of tongues the word diverse is in italics 
meaning the translators added it. So it literally says to others kinds of tongues. But you could well understand that he's talking about different, which is what diverse means, different kinds of tongues. Why would he say different kinds of tongues? Why wouldn't he just say tongues? Because you can speak with tongues because you're filled with the Spirit. But he's saying there's a special manifestation of the Spirit in different kinds of tongues. Meaning a different kind than what you normally speak in your prayer language. Have you ever noticed that most of the time when you speak in tongues, it sounds pretty similar to what you usually do? You need to be careful that you don't let yourself get stuck. It's real easy to get in the habit of speaking in tongues with your mind or your brain familiar with how it sounds and make it sound the same way all the time. For that reason, it's a good opportunity, it's a good exercise, I should say, for you to take the opportunity to get by yourself, please by yourself, and let the Holy Ghost use you in speaking in tongues in different ways. Ask Him to do it, and He'll do it. It keeps you from getting stuck. A lot of people get stuck in their prayer language. It becomes routine. It becomes something that's not edifying anymore because it's a ritual. We're going to take communion here in a little while. Well, communion is a ritual of the church. But you can take communion so much that it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. You can operate in it every day. And some people do. Some people take communion every day. And it means something to them. And that's fine. The Bible doesn't tell you how often you should or shouldn't or whatever. But you can do anything. You can sing the most anointed song in the world enough to where it loses the anointing. We've got to be careful that we keep things fresh. Well, you should do that with your prayer language, too. That's why he says to another diverse or different kinds of tongues. There's not just one way to speak in tongues. There's a multitude of ways to speak in tongues. And the Holy Ghost can manifest himself in spectacular and even in supernatural and even spectacular ways to minister to others. Remember, it doesn't do you any good, but to minister to others through different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit dividing to every man severally as he wills. In other words, he's saying this is how the lightnings of God will manifest. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge and discerning of spirits. Special faith, gifts of healings and working of miracles. Different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. That's the nine different ways that Paul is telling us by the Holy Spirit how the Holy Spirit will manifest. Here's the Holy Ghost telling us, here's how I'll work. Here's how I'll work. And they work for everybody so that the church is profited. Not the individual, but the church is profited. Not the individual that works these things or that that is used in these areas. But it will profit others, in other words. Let's talk about gifts of healings for a few minutes this morning. I've used up most of my time on side journeys here. But turn with me over to Acts chapter 8. Let me show you an example of gifts of healings. Or a gift of healing, I guess I should say. Let's start reading in verse 5. And it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now, if you back up a couple of chapters, you'll find out that Philip is one of the seven original deacons of the church. He's one of the ones that that is chosen or are chosen to wait on tables. So that the, uh, the apostles can give themselves to the word of God and to, to prayer and, and preparing themselves for services. And it says the, the requirements for these guys were pretty strong. They were required to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Which means you can be full of the Holy Ghost and not have any wisdom. 
I want to let that catch up with you. A lot of people are. You got a lot of people that are filled with the Holy Ghost, but they're not filled with wisdom. That's where some of the, the, the crazy things come from in the, in the charismatic part of the church. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Of good report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Those were the three requirements. I think those are three good requirements today. I think those ought to be the requirements for everybody. Okay. So Philip is one of the original seven. Now God seems to be stepping him forward or moving him forward to something else. Then Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. What does that mean? That means he's evangelizing. The evangelist has one message and that's to preach Jesus. That's what Paul said he did when he first went to Corinth. The only message he had was Christ and him crucified. In other words, he just preached the good news that Jesus had died on the cross for our sins. Now, he taught them more later on, but that's what he started with. So here's what Philip does. He went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. What made them listen to what he said? Anybody can go to any town and preach Jesus. And I'm sure that's, they'll, they'll have a reward in heaven for that. But what makes people listen to what you say? Well, if the Bible example is still true, and I kind of believe it is, I really believe that's the reason why the Holy Ghost gives us this example. The people with one accord, that means everybody, without dissent, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Why? Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, folks, if miracles cause people to believe then, why wouldn't miracles cause people to believe now? People haven't changed. And how many times do we hear people say, well, if I could just see a miracle, then I'd believe. Most of those people are lying, whether they know it or not, but at least they understand what they're looking for. They're looking for the power. I'm tired of hearing people talk. Let's see the power. That's, that's another way to say that. Anybody can talk. Anybody can say anything. Let's see you prove it. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, both hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Notice what it says. Which he did. Which he did. It doesn't say which God did through him. I think we miss a lot of things because we're so careful. We're trying to be careful. Maybe our heart's in the right place. I'm not sure. But people are so careful about saying, well, God did it through me. Well, that's great. But if you weren't there, it wouldn't have gotten done. That's like saying the fruit grows through the tree. Okay, without, we understand without the tree, the fruit wouldn't have been there, but it's the fruit that we were after. We don't go magnify the tree, we take the fruit and eat it. Right? So in that sense, as long as the person that's producing the fruit recognizes where the source of that ability comes from, we're in good shape. Notice, God doesn't have a problem with people saying, here's the Holy Ghost inspiring it to be said that Philip did the miracles. I think if we would grow up a little bit and understand that principle so that we could realize, yeah, God wants me to do miracles. I think that would help us a lot. He doesn't want you to take credit for the miracles, but he sure wants you to do them. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, both hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Well, what did he do? Verse 7, four unclean spirits. Crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Now, folks, I want you to notice the word many in verse 7. 
For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. That means not everybody that was possessed with devils got delivered. It says they came out of many, but it doesn't say they came out of all. And then notice it says, and many that were taken with palsies. Now, palsies mean some kind of paralysis, some kind of creeping paralysis. And then the end result is, and that were lame. In other words, many that had palsies and many that were lame were healed. Not all. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, notice it didn't say any blind people were healed. Didn't say any deaf ears were opened. Didn't say anybody dumb was able to speak. Didn't say any lepers were healed. It specifically identifies the miracles that caused the people to believe the preaching of Jesus. And that is many demon-possessed people were delivered. And many that had the palsies were healed. And many that were lame were healed. Now, I'm sure there's a technical difference between palsies and lame. But as far as I'm concerned, it's about the same thing. What is this? Well, it's got to be a gift of healing. And notice the way I said that, a gift of healing. Because in the original translation in 1 Corinthians 12, remember, it says gifts, plural, of healings, plural. There's a plurality of gifts because there's a a plurality of sicknesses to be healed. Here is a gift of healing that has to do with people that are lame or palsied. Here is a gift of healing that has to do with casting out devils. Now, can I ask you a question? Doesn't the Bible say that we're all supposed to take authority over the devil? And doesn't the Bible say that we're all supposed to pray for and lay hands on the sick? Well, then why would there be a need for a gift of that? If Philip's just out there laying hands on the sick, then why wasn't anybody blind healed? If he's praying for and laying hands on the sick, why wasn't anybody that was deaf had their ears opened? Why does it specify lame And palsied as being healed. Why does it tell us specifically that those, and not all of those were apparently. That's why the word many is used instead of the word all. Why does the Bible specify that that's what took place? It has to be a gift of healing. So what does that lead us to believe? That leads us to believe whereas all of us are given given instruction to take authority over the devil. There's going to be a special manifestation of the spirit that enables some to cast out devils. And whereas the Bible tells us all to pray for and lay hands on the sick, there are going to be some that are going to have a gift of healing, maybe for a particular area of sickness. Does that negate the fact that we're still supposed to take authority over the devil? Meaning if somebody comes to us and they're demon possessed or oppressed or whatever, that we're not supposed to pray for them? Does that mean that we're not supposed to pray for somebody else that's sick or whatever the case is, whatever their condition of sickness is? No, we still have the same instruction from Jesus. But he's telling us there are going to be special manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power for certain ones to operate in certain ways. Now, wouldn't it have been a waste of time for Philip? And and I I doubt very seriously if Philip understood what he had until he got there and started operating it. That's usually the way people find out. But wouldn't it be a foolish thing for Philip, now knowing where his area of, of special manifestation of the Spirit is, now knowing where his gift of healing operates, wouldn't it be foolish for Philip to go to the leper colony? 
He wouldn't be able to do anything more in the leper colony than you or I would or somebody else that didn't have a special manifestation in that area. But boy, if you found out that somebody had a special manifestation of the Spirit to get lepers healed, he's the one to send in there. That's why Paul talks so much in the 12th chapter about the body, the church being like the body, fitting together and working together. Because if we find out where we're good, if you know what I mean by that term, if you find out where our special ability is, we can operate according to that ability. But it seems to me that the church just tries to do everything all at once, be a jack of all trades, so to speak, and try to take care of everything. And folks, nobody has it all. Nobody has everything. Jesus did. The Bible says Jesus had the spirit without measure. But the Bible says that the body of Christ is Jesus here on the earth. Well, I don't have the spirit without measure. I have the spirit by measure. That means I have a special ability in certain areas where somebody else is going to have a special ability in other areas. Now, wouldn't it be stupid for me to try to work over in his area? But on the other hand, wouldn't it be great if the church could figure out what we have as individuals and work according to that plan or working work according to that ability? Wouldn't it be great if churches stuck with what they were good at and people operated according to the Holy Ghost in the area that he had endowed them or equipped them? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I wonder if that has anything to do with the latter rain. Because if Jesus is waiting for maximum yield, where the precious fruit of the earth is concerned, there's only one thing that's going to bring about maximum yield, folks. And that's not a greater move of the Holy Ghost. It's a greater understanding of the church to work with the Holy Ghost as he manifests. Because you could have all the power in the world and still have people crossing over into things that they don't have any business being in. Couldn't you? It's obvious that not everybody's going to have everything. Because Paul says specifically, four to one is given. Four to another is given this. So not everybody's going to have everything. So why wouldn't it be smart? Why wouldn't it be most effective for the church to learn what has God given us and how should we work most effectively with what the Holy Ghost is doing? I'll take this because the Holy Ghost has given me something over here. You take that because the Holy Ghost has given you something over there. And the other group take this over there because that's where they're good. Why would that not produce maximum yield? Any of you ever heard of F.F. Bosworth? He's the author of the book Christ the Healer. It's one of the greatest books ever written on the subject of healing. If you don't have it, I recommend you get it. If you get it, I recommend you read it once a month. I mean, it's just that good. Bosworth was born in 1877. And uh, as a young man, well, uh, in, in the early 1900s, uh, he began ministering. Now, the thing that got him into ministry was he got saved at about 16 years of age, and about 18 or 19, he developed uh, tuberculosis. And there was a lady that uh, laid hands on him and ministered healing to him that uh, wasn't a minister, but she was a Bible salesman. And I know this is strange for many of us young folks to understand, but back in those days, people would walk with Bible cases from town to town selling Bibles door to door. And this lady would, would just, she was spirit-filled, and she just would walk all day long from house to house, farm to farm, selling Bibles. And people didn't have much money back then, so selling Bibles was probably not a real profitable thing. So the net effect is she spends all of her life walking and praying. 
And she hears about Bosworth, young man, 18, 19 years old, who has tuberculosis. As a matter of fact, Bosworth had returned to his family home to say goodbye to his parents because he had wasted away to just about nothing. He had already moved away and, and, and so forth and he's come back to say goodbye to his parents, see him one last time type thing. And this, uh, this Bible salesman lady comes up on him some way or another. I'm not real sure how they connected. But anyway, according to the story that he told his sons and his sons published, she just started telling him about the love of God to heal. She started telling Bosworth how that God wanted to heal him more than he even wanted to be healed. She spent about 10 minutes telling him, using some scripture, but telling him how much God's love is extended toward us to heal the sick. Then she laid hands on him, and from that moment forward, he got better and better and better. Until just almost no time at all had passed, and the tuberculosis was gone. The same doctors that said he had it now say he's free. And that got him started. Just very simply because somebody spent about 10 or 15 minutes telling him about the love and the mercy of God to heal. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, folks. If we don't tell anybody anything, they don't have anything to believe. So that got him started in ministry. That got him interested in the things of God. He began to read and began to study, especially on the subject of healing because that's where his interest was. That had been his experience. So along comes... Early 1900s, 1909, 1910, somewhere around there, he starts going from town to town, making friends in new villages, new communities. He'd go from place to place, making friends on farms, and then having those people open up their homes for Bible studies. The first couple of nights, he'd just have, you know, maybe that family, maybe one other, but then over a period of time, it would start to grow. Three or four weeks would go by, preaching every night, just teaching a little Bible sermon to them every night, mostly on the subject of healing, which was something people didn't hear much in those days. People, there wasn't many people that were spirit-filled back then. And so he'd tell them things about the Holy Ghost and tell them things about healing, and that started drawing some people in. He said this. He said after about three, maybe four weeks, then you'd get some notable miracle. You'd get somebody that, had, that was crippled or somebody that was blind, you'd get them healed. And then they had to find an open place and a, a bigger place where they'd have these meetings. Now, if you look at Brother Bosworth's Christ the Healer book, you'll find that they have uh, reprinted pictures of the big campaigns that he used to have with five and 10,000 people under tents. That was huge back in the 20s. Huge. I mean, it's big now, but huge back then. But that's not where he started. He started off preaching house to house or going for, literally from city to city in one house starting a Bible study. And then he'd go to bigger, bigger meeting places and then they'd start having bigger things. And as his ministry began to grow and the, and the news, uh, and they'd start a church out of this thing, uh, you know, out of the Bible studies, people didn't have anywhere else to go. So he'd have people that would, once they came, they were hooked. They'd come back. But even when he started some of his bigger campaigns in the twenties, there are people that would be in his services and they'd say, well, he gave a nice talk. He told some interesting information about the Bible. Newspaper reporters would go and say, well, we'd never heard this preach before. And it's interesting. He seemed to back up his, his uh, premise, his, uh, you know, what he was trying to prove with the scripture. But nobody said anything about his ability for, for oration. Nobody talked about him being a great preacher. Nobody talked about him being a, an outstanding teacher or, or, or how he mesmerized us with his, with his presentation or none of that. He was considered to be pretty dry in the way he'd throw it out there. He said himself that he didn't recognize that he had a teaching gift. 
But he had some tremendous, tremendous campaigns. Well, he preached, continued in his ministry for about 45 uh, until about um, uh, in the early 40s. And then he pretty much retired. Late 30s, early 40s, he pretty much retired. After 20 years or so, or, well, I guess it had been uh, um, almost 30-something years in the ministry at that time. 20 years in bigger campaigns, but 30-something altogether. And he had pretty much just retired from the ministry. But then the healing revival started. William Branham came on the scene. And Branham came to, uh, came to Bosworth and asked him. He said, would you join my, camp, my crusade team? He said, I want you to teach in the mornings. And so Bosworth came out of retirement and went back into, into the ministry working with William Branham. And he'd teach every day. Every morning. He'd have teaching meetings. Still had tremendous healings and, and, and so forth. Well, Brother Hagin used to tell the story about when the, the, uh, uh, during the healing revival that there was a, a, an instrument, a magazine that was called The Voice of Healing that Gordon Lindsay had produced or, or printed or published, I guess is the word. And, uh, and, and, and there was a, an evangelistic uh, association of all these ministers. And they'd have annual meetings. And they'd get together in the meetings. They'd compare notes. And, and one person would say, I've had such a tremendous year. You know, we had so many blind people that were healed. And somebody else would speak up and say, I've never had a blind person healed. But we got people that were deaf and dumb healed. And somebody else would speak up and say, I've never had either one of those. But we got people healed that were crippled. And somebody else would speak up and say, you know, I don't know what it is, but I seem to get more success with people that have tumors. It doesn't matter what kind of tumor. It doesn't matter where it is, but I seem to get better success with that. And they started comparing notes. And Brother Hagin said, you know, these guys just kind of scratched their heads and said, we don't know how it works or why it works this way. And Brother Hagin started thinking, maybe this is what gifts of healings are about. Because nobody knew. Just 50 years ago, nobody knew. And until they are in manifestation, how are you going to know? I mean, it's easy to sit by and develop a theory on something you know nothing about. A lot of preachers do that. A lot of preachers have done that on the subject of healing. They've developed theories about something they have no expertise or no knowledge or no experience in. Brother Hagin developed his own definition of a theory. You know what a theory is? It's a supposition based on the ignorance of the subject under discussion. A lot of preachers have theories. But how are they supposed to know? How are they supposed to know about the manifestation of the Holy Ghost unless it operates? How is the church at Corinth supposed to know about the Holy Ghost except that this is what's happening? Paul's just identifying it for them. He said in the first chapter, in verse 7, he said, you come, back, you come behind in no good gift. That means all these things are working. That's why he could explain to them. Why didn't he tell the Thessalonians? Only thing he told the Thessalonians is despise not prophesying. You know why? Because apparently that's the only thing that's working over there. And it's working to such a degree. And you've got people standing up saying, thus saith the Lord, that the Lord hath not said. That they're taking a dim view of it. and They're trying to throw the whole thing away. I just don't want to hear any more prophecy. And Paul says, no, despise not prophesying, but judge them. Hold fast to what's good. Throw away that which is not. But how are these guys going to know? How is the church at Corinth going to know? Unless these things are in manifestation. If he talks about gifts of healings, why would they not write back and say, what's that? But they didn't. They understood because they had these things in operation. But see, some of those things were lost in the early days of the church. Or since those times, those early days of the church. They certainly had never taken place in America until the healing revival 
or at least not in, in, in uh, a large measure until the healing revival. So Brother Hagin starts trying to figure out how these things work. Now, he asked Brother Bosworth. He said the last time he saw Bosworth, he was 77 years old. I think Bosworth was 84 when he went home. So it was some seven years before he was uh, uh, translated to heaven. And, and oh boy, you ought to read his testimony going home. The Lord spoke to him and told him when he's going, so he told everybody. He said, I'm going home tomorrow. Oh, it's the best day of my life. I get to go home. Get to graduate to heaven is the way he called it. His family thought he was nuts. But, oh, well, you know, he's 84. Dad's mind's going. He called everybody he knew. He talked to everybody he knew. He got in touch with everybody he could, saying goodbye. Tomorrow I'm going to be gone. Going to be gone. He woke up tomorrow and he was so disappointed. Because he thought that's what he'd go. He thought as soon as the daylight hit, you know, that's it. I'm out. He was so disappointed. But then he realized, well, you know, the Lord didn't tell me at daylight. He just told me tomorrow. So he went out and sat on his front porch. His son drove by to see him. Saw him sitting on the front porch. Said, how you doing, Dad? Didn't even get out of the car. Just hollered out the window. How you doing, Dad? He said, I'm doing great. I'm going to heaven. See you. (laughs) By 5 o'clock that afternoon, he slumped over in his chair. He went home to be with the Lord. Man, that's the way to go. Well, Brother Hagin said last time he saw him at age 77, he said, you wouldn't have believed he was a day over 50. And he asked him about some of these things. He asked him, he said, do you recognize a gift of healing in your ministry? He said, no. He said, I'm, I'm not aware that I've ever had any special gift of healing. But then he stopped and he said, but you know what? See, he hadn't even put these things together. He said, but you know what? He said, nearly everybody that I lay hands on that's got something wrong with their ears gets healed. And Brother Hagin asked him, he said, do you think that might be a gift of healing? He said, well, I've never thought about it. I, I really don't know. He said, but I know I have so much more confidence in praying for somebody that's got something wrong with their ears than I do with any other thing. He said, now, it doesn't matter even if they've had an operation, had their eardrum removed. And this is what he'd do in his services. He'd stand up and he'd say, now, if anybody's got anything wrong with their ears, you come down here. I don't care if your eardrum's missing. I don't care what it is. You come down here. And he'd get them healed. Now, that doesn't mean everyone, but many of those. Because it still takes faith on the part of the individual. Even when a gift of healing or a gift of faith or something else is in operation, it still takes faith on the part of the individual. And you can't get everybody to believe hardly no matter what you do. But many, most of those, certainly enough to where it never discouraged him. I remember another time Brother Hagin talks about, and, and remember we're talking about two things in Zechariah chapter 10. He says, I'll make bright clouds, in other words, a display of power and his presence, and secondly, and give them showers of rain. That's always intrigued me. Why is it talking about both? Why didn't it just say, and I'll answer his prayer big time? I know King James wouldn't translate it that way, but why would he separate it out? Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds. It's got to be a display of power and a display of the glory of God and give them showers of rain. And, and, that means something else, and give them showers of rain. Why would they be distinguished like that? Well, could it be that there'll be times in services where the Holy Ghost will do something that's not necessarily a gift of healing for the individual, but a gift of healing for that service. 
For example, Brother Hagin said that only one time this ever happened in his ministry. He said there was one time that the Lord spoke to me. He said, as a matter of fact, I say you spoke to me. I said, he said, he explained it this way. He said, I heard myself saying, anybody's got anything wrong with you from your hips down, get down here and the Lord will heal you. He said, when I heard myself say that, I thought, oh, my Lord, what have I just said? Well, there was something like 12 people that came down there. People, anything from somebody in a stretcher, couldn't walk to somebody in a wheelchair, to people coming down on crutches and canes and different things like that. And of all 12 of those, only one failed to receive their healing. and It was a person that had the least wrong with them. They had a little bit of arthritis and they just wouldn't believe they just refuse. They, they see people get out of wheelchairs. They saw the person get off the stretcher. They see everybody healed, people dropping their crutches, running around the room. He says, all right, sister, now it's your time. Is the Lord going to do anything for you? And she says, well, I just don't know. I just think the Lord gave me this to teach me something. Well, he tried to correct her thinking. He said, well, ma'am, look, you see this person. Look at them running around the room all around you. They had a lot more worse with, wrong with them than, than what you have. And God did it for them. Why won't he do it for you? Well, I just don't know. I just think the Lord brought it to me for some purpose. He says, well, okay. There's nothing I can do. She went hobbling back to her chair with her cane. While all the crippled people were running around the room. <laughs> well, is it possible that that was a shower of rain? Now, folks, I don't claim to have all the answers on this. But I sure do like thinking about the possibilities. Is it possible that that was a shower of rain? Not a, not a gift of healing that was given to Brother Hagin because he never did that again. He never was impressed to, to do that again. Now, there were other times where people were healed that were crippled and so forth in his ministry. But it came in a much different way. But on that one occasion, anything wrong with them from their hips down. And everybody except that one woman was healed. So I guess if we were going to give a record for the Bible, we would say, and many that were palsied or were lame were healed. We couldn't say all because that one woman wouldn't take it. Maybe that's what it looked like in Philip's day. So is it possible that there are gifts of healings? I'm saying this, is it possible because I'm trying to be nice about presenting it, but I'm pretty well convinced this is it. I believe. The gifts of healings are given not only to individuals for ministry, but also there are showers of rain where the Holy Ghost will manifest himself in different ways, meaning different according to what the individual or the minister is used to for the sake of the people that are there. What do you think? Why are you teaching on this, Pastor Mike? Because I want you to believe for them. I want you to believe for these things. We're out of time, so let me, let me close with this. Paul made a statement in writing to the Corinthians, and there's a lot I want to tell you about the Corinthian church as we go forward. Paul made a statement to the Corinthian church. I think it's chapter 3, somewhere around there. He said, in my speech and my preaching, when I came to you, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Well, then what would you do, Paul, if you didn't try to, you know, wow everybody with your ability to preach? Which, by the way, church history tells us Paul was a really poor preacher or teacher. Stacking him up against Apollos or one of these other guys. People would say, oh, we like Apollos preaching and teaching a lot better than Paul's. But Paul's ministry was with such strength and with such power, people couldn't resist it. But anyway, Paul said, 
When I first came to you, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but what was it, what was it like? But in demonstration of the spirit and power. In demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now notice those are two different things. Demonstration of the spirit and of power. That means not every demonstration of the spirit is going to be a power packed thing. Doesn't mean it's not supernatural. For example, you could demonstrate the spirit by ministering in tongues and interpretation. But you might not consider that to be the same power as a gift of healing or a working of miracles. So he said, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You get to talking like this and people say, well, show me. We want to see something. Right? That's what they expected in Samaria when Philip went down there and preached Jesus. We're we're preaching the same Jesus Philip did. So shouldn't he show us too? Show me. We want to see something. All right. Let me show you something in progress. Let me show you a manifestation of the gift of faith in progress. I wish these people were here this morning because I'd I'd let them come up and be seen by everybody. There were two guys that we laid hands on last Sunday night. One had ALS. They're both in wheelchairs. One had ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. He's been given up by the doctors. The other guy has MS. Now, this other guy, the second guy, I'm not too sure about the first guy. I don't have a lot of information about him. But the second guy has been believing God for some time. And he's strong in faith. I mean, he's standing strong in faith, which I believe is one of the reasons that this is the Holy Ghost is manifesting himself in this way. We prayed for both of those guys last Sunday night, and we broke the power over the one guy, ALS over the one guy, MS over the other guy. And I'm here to tell you, I didn't have this when it happened. But since it has happened, something has happened to me. And I recognize that it's the gift of faith in operation. If both of those men don't walk, then I'm a false pastor and, and, a, and teacher. And you need to find another church. Not yet. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? That's how much I know. I'm not able to doubt that. I've had the devil say, yeah, but what if one of them stops believing? What if one of them gets discouraged? It doesn't matter. At this point, it doesn't matter. Because there's a gift of faith in operation. I should have done this Wednesday night because the one man that, uh, that was in the wheelchair that had MS... He was here. I should have done that then, but I was in a hurry and, you know, I wanted to cover the whole chapter of John and blah, blah, blah. Didn't take the time that I should have. But I I should have stopped and said, everybody turn around and look at our brother. He got healed of MS the other night. And every time I see those guys from this point forward, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because the power of sickness is broken over both of their lives. Something has changed. Something has changed. Now, we get certain things, and, and, and I don't know. I'm, some of this I'm guessing at. Some of this I'm, uh, I'm just operating according to what experience I do have. I don't have all the answers, folks. And anytime I pretend to have all the answers, something will show that I'm just, you know, wrong. But here's what I think. And when I say think, I mean I've got a witness about this. I believe... That the reason that this is one of the ways that God wants to demonstrate himself and the manifestation of the spirit is that we get so used to seeing instant results. We think that if the Holy Ghost manifests, everything is instant. But that's not the way it works. We get so used to looking at results, physical results, and judging spiritual things by natural things. 
that I want you to take notice and I want you to remember. Write it down if you want to. I don't care what you do, but remember it. Remember what I said to you about those two gentlemen. I can't put myself out on the line any more than I just have. If they don't walk, I'm a false pastor and a false teacher. And the Bible warns you against those. That's how much I know. Now, I don't know that of myself. I came to the end of my own faith last Sunday night. But since that time, there's been a faith that's not mine that's taken hold. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're in the last days, folks. We've been praying for the rain. We have a guarantee from the Lord that he'll make bright clouds, a demonstration of his glory, a manifestation of his glory, and a demonstration of his power, and give us showers of rain. We're going to have services where we have. Anybody that's got anything wrong with them from their hips down, you come forward and get healed. We're going to have services where, where whatever else the Lord prompts us to do. Where those are going to be situations that are landmarks, that are points where we can use as memorials, that will be proof to the unsaved. Now, let me tell you something. I know that the way that I teach is not something that draws a crowd unless they're interested in the word already. I mean, let's just face facts. This is what I've got. I see some guys and they're evangelists and they can just draw a crowd in and... I just marvel at that. I just try to keep the crowd awake. (laughs) Not so successfully all the time either. But you start having some things like that happen. People will come in. People will give heed to the things that we say about Jesus. Hearing and seeing the miracles which take place. That's the day that's coming. I believe we've already entered into it. I get so tired of people saying, well, there's a new day coming. I believe we're there now. And I believe the reason that we are there now may not be there for everybody else. But I believe the reason that we are there now is because we have been praying for it. We've got, therefore, a guarantee from the Lord about what's going to happen. And the more we teach on these things, the more we impress upon these things to the people. You know, in Bosworth's meetings, when Bosworth started having the big meetings, 5,000, 10,000 people, he wouldn't pray for people for three weeks. He made them listen to 15 sermons on healing before we'd ever pray for the sick. Same thing was true with Charles Price. Charles Price had an outstanding healing ministry in his day. He made them listen to eight messages on healing. Day after day after day after day before you could get in the healing line. Same thing was true with Amy Simple McPherson, founder of the Foursquare Gospel denomination. She'd make you listen to five sermons on healing before she'd ever pray for you, ever lay hands on you. People come to church today and they won't drive through service. And we're doing more than most by having healing school once a week. But even that's difficult. How many of you that were here last Sunday night remember what I preached? How many don't? Yeah, fat chance I'm going to get people to admit that, right? (laughs) What if? Let's just accept that not everybody remembers. What if last Sunday night added to this Sunday night is going to be the key? See, that's why these guys that went day after day after day, that's why they got results. 
Because it didn't, it was, it was stacked one on top of another. They didn't have a week to go to, to, to lose it. Something can be real to you last week and, and you can't remember it the next week. Folks, I had to think back. What did I preach last Sunday night? I remember laying hands on the two guys, but I couldn't remember for a little bit what I preached. And then it came to me. Oh yeah, I remember I preached on this. Preach on you and have what you say. But I believe the day is coming. Now, we're not there yet on this one. But I believe the day is coming where there's going to be a restored hunger for the Word of God. A renewed hunger for the Word of God. Where people are going to be willing to come to church. Where people are going to be willing to hear the Word. And you don't have to come to church to do it. You can feed on the Word on your own. I mean, you've got a lot of opportunities to feed on the Word through tapes and MP3s and whatever medium you, you want to. Websites or whatever. That they never had back in the old days. So you can get the same results even if you don't have week-long meetings or whatever like they used to have. But I believe that there's, a, there's coming a time where there's going to be a renewed interest, a renewed hunger for the Word of God so that people are going to put it first in their lives, and that's going to spark a worldwide revival. I don't know if you can tell, folks, but I'm just starting to have fun. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of what Jesus did. Jesus said it's better for us that he go to the Father. Because if he didn't go to the Father, the Comforter could not come. God wants to share his power with you, not his glory. But he wants to share his power with you in such a degree that living on this life, living in this world, living on a natural, normal plane seems like such a defeated position. You won't ever want to go back to that. He died specifically and paid a penalty, paid a price specifically for you to live a Jesus life, a level of life that is so much higher than the natural stuff that we're accustomed to. That you wouldn't even compare the two together. He's already made you righteous. He's already equipped you for it. He's already given you power. Because the Holy Ghost came upon you. He's just looking for us to step over into it. That's what these elements represent folks. It represents the Jesus life. It doesn't just represent, well, we escaped hell. It represents the same life that he lived here on the earth. It represents a supernatural life. It represents a life of power. It represents a life of revelation. It represents a life where you know what's coming and you're prepared for it. You don't get blindsided by the devil. You're ready. And when the devil does raise his head, you have everything that's necessary. You have the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That's what these elements represent. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.